as we looked at last week, the motif of sacrifice and then propitiation. Sacrifice and substitutionary. Christ takes our place, sacrifices His life for us. And then propitiation. God the Father is pleased of the payment that was made. So that was the two that we talked about. Now, when, when, we, when we think of theology, we think of the Word of God. We think of learning about who God is, right? Who Christ is. We love to get praise, right? Is that what we as Christians like to do? We like to praise God. Our praise is only going to be as good as much as we know about Him. So that's why you know we want to keep reading and studying about Him, reading every day. That's what our life is about, knowing God. And understanding how glorious Christ is and what He did on the cross, how glorious, all the work that He did. But the heights of our worship can only go as far as what we know about Him. If we know very little, how much can we praise Him? Very little, really. Because you praise God with saying how great He is. And then when you know how great He is, then your praise to Him becomes higher. And the more that you know. so. But it's not just knowing about Him, it's knowing Him. But that's why we do what we're doing here tonight, for instance. Because it will make our worship better. When we think of these things, we know Jesus died on the cross and we know that He sacrificially did it. And we know that the Father was even pleased with that, right? Because that was the Father's plan. Isaiah 53 talks about that. So the followers of Jesus, it's us, we devote our minds to truth. That's this word here. And if we devote our minds to this truth, our hearts then will explode more and more with worthy worship. That's what we want to do. We want to get our worship better, don't we? We want it to improve more and more. When we are in eternity, our worship will be perfect with no sin. We look to that day. So anyway, that's uh, we're going to be dealing with one topic tonight. We, we dealt with sacrifice and propitiation, and tonight we'll deal with reconciliation. That's what happened at the cross. What exactly did Christ accomplish at the cross? Well, he there was sacrifice, there was propitiation, and tonight we're looking at reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for the knowledge of Your truth that You give us that we would know You further and be able to give You better worship uh, each and every day. Uh, we desire to really know You and to really have a great relationship with You, Lord, and more and more that we find out what You did and what You continue to do, we can praise You even more. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, looking at it again, as we look at this reconciliation, you have man's sin. Man's sin means man is guilty. And has anybody ever felt guilt? Or felt guilty? Or did something that was wrong? We harms, hurt somebody or whatever? Or we did something that was not right? So we, we have guilt. Well, we have the guilt of sin. And we see that this guilt, because of our sin, what does it require? It requires a sacrifice because we can't pay it. So that's what we talked about, sacrifice. And that the sin and the guilt that we had arouses God's wrath. So the sacrifice was done. Has God's wrath been taken care of? Yeah. 
It was done there at the cross. That required propitiation. So it required sacrifice, required propitiation. And so we keep thinking on that word sin. It, e- it actually affected hostility between us and God. There was hostility. And it has to be overcome. So again, as we look at that cross, here's what it accomplished. It, it accomplished reconciliation. When, when, when you think of reconciliation, what do you think of? When you hear that? Something made right? Um, coming into fellowship with God. He makes it where we can. Before, we couldn't. We were alienated. We were hostile. We were enemies. And we'll be looking at those words there. This, um, this idea of this alienation. That's, uh, that's what we were. We, we were alien to God. Uh, I guess you could say we're, we were aliens too. I guess as Christians were aliens in a way too. But this, uh, this reconciliation is uh, vividly seen throughout Scripture. Go all the way back to Genesis. Chapter 3, verse 8. Sin has happened. Adam and Eve saw the tree was good for food. It's delight to the eyes. The tree was desirable. Make one wise. Eve took from its fruit and ate. She gave uh, to her husband with her and he ate. Look in verse 8. Immediately, look at the guilt that happened because of this. There's a separation that happened. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from, from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What did they do? They hid. Has anybody ever hidden from anybody? <laughs> they just kind of hide out whenever, you know, maybe they don't want to be around. Somebody that maybe they offended or something happened, right? Is that a, is that a guilt? That's a guilt. Uh, evidently, they knew that sound that God had. Evidently, He had been communing with them all along since they've been created, right? That's what God wants most. God wants to communicate with us, and man communicated with God, and and they loved it, and God loved it. This was a, a really great thing. Uh, but there, they did not want to have the presence of God around them. For one thing, it was the the guilt that was there. So now we move. They had a, they actually had a face to face communion with Him somehow. Whether He made Himself in some kind of visible way, we don't know. But there was some way that they really communed with Him. They had a, a would you say they had a good relationship? God and Adam and Eve had a great relationship. It, it, there was no sin between them. And, of course, an, an immediate instinct is to hide. And something had altered their relationship. And so we, we go to Genesis 3:22 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. Except live forever and it's not in the presence of God. Because they're out of the presence of God now, right? 
and they've been they, they hid from God. God had to bring them together here. And of course, He told them uh, about there would be the Messiah coming from it'd be from her seed and such. So there was a good promise, but um, here we have uh, where. Adam and Eve are going to be driven out, and they they the reason is is they they took of that tree, and there is a tree of life. They eat the tree of life in the condition that they are in. They would live forever out of the presence of God. That's why He had to take them out of the garden. And so the next verse says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. And of course, the ground had been cursed. That's why we know that... Well, look out there today, the reason we have that kind of weather, it's cursed. And if you out there and make a garden, and you put some of the, the best stuff in there, I can guarantee you, you're going to have to root out the weeds. You're going to have so to work hard. Weeds growing in my garden. Already. I pulled them out today. In this kind of weather. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? They shouldn't be out yet. <laughs> Nothing else is growing. Cursed ground. The ground is cursed. Everything is cursed. Anyway, so he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword Right there, nobody's getting in. The uh, angel is there, turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's the reason there has to be death, because if they don't die, then they li- they live forever only in the state that they're in. He has to take that tree of life out, and the tree of life ultimately is Jesus Christ. And, and of course, He is where we, we get our life. Of course, I, I have no idea what the original language is. Cannot let them in there with the tree of life. Right. He drives them out just immediately without even finishing his sentence. That's right. Now, would you say that this was an alienation? Have they been alienated? They've been alienated from where they lived. Have you ever have you ever seen like let's say like uh, birds and something happens to their nest and, and they come back and all of a sudden their nest is not there? Or, or wasp, even more so. Like whenever you knock down their nest and they come back and they look for it, and they're all around. What happened? What's going on? And all of a sudden they see you and they're out running after, flying after you know, trying to sting you and everything. I've I've seen that before. You, you, see, you know, it feels really odd. Has, has somebody ever taken something from where you're are no, used this to going to? to go to Walmart. I'm in there for too long. Can't find my car. <laughs> Or you go into Walmart. I'm talking about Walmart changing everything around. Yeah, you go in to yeah. get something that you want, and, you know and it's not it's there. They it's moved it. Yeah. And you've gone there for years, and it's not there. 
Well, Makes car, you feel so really. They moved, they moved oh. my car too from the parking lot where it was. Menards is changing everything. It's terrible. I, 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 I walk in, I'm lost. <laughs> Shame on them. And I've been alienated. Alienated. That's what you feel like. Yeah. You, you feel like, yeah, something's been taken from you. You know. So, so they can't go back there, and that's what. And it was so beautiful in there. Now they're out here with weeds and desert-looking stuff, and it's dry, or you know, it's nothing like what I'm the sure garden the was. Doing all kinds of things they've never experienced before. Thirsty. Oh yeah. It's hard to get food now, and now, and yeah, your body starts doing weird things and. Sweating and have to use the bathroom. That probably didn't happen either. This is total alienation. They're away from the presence of God. Do you think they are starting to regret what they just did? Now, what God does is He illustrates that further, just like He does everything else. We see how it started there in the Garden of Eden and as they're kicked out throughout the rest of the Old Testament and especially you know like in the law it gets established that man is separated from God man is a sinner man cannot get into the presence of God except that God make it available somehow and it's not going to be like it was it's not going to be like the garden at least for a long time and we know that today but in Israel's history God still accented his separation from sinful man and he illustrated it by the tabernacle or the temple. And it's there's a threefold barrier there to the holy place. You guys know how that tabernacle is set up? I bet you I bet you your guy's dad has talked to you about the temple or the tabernacle. Has he ever done that? Has he ever drawn you a picture of that? I bet he has. Because we've talked about that many, many times. There's a barrier outside uh, that as you come into the, the presence there, there's an outer court. When there, The outer court is accessible only to the ones who are bringing an offering now. You have to bring an offering to even get close to God. So that's the outer, right? That's the outer court. And whenever the temple was built in Jerusalem and of course uh, when Jesus was walking in Jerusalem and uh, you had the Gentiles that came there was the court of Gentiles and there was the court of women and uh, of course the men had you know they it was a little bit closer but there was there were barriers if you were uh, the Gentiles you could only come so far you know but they, they could come there but they could only come so far but they couldn't go any further the women could go a little bit further if they were Jews and the men could you know, you know but you were it, you were required to bring sacrifices for your sin, so that was you're, you're talking the outer court. Then there is the holy place, and that's accessible only to the priest. Now, all the priests daily, once you get past, you've got the altar, you get up to the altar, and of course the sacrifice is made there. The priest then would have the laver, and that's where they'd wash their hands, wash their feet. They go into the holy place a little bit further in there, and you have the table of showbread, you have uh, the light, you have that oil 
back there, you know. Of course, that's all representing Christ. Well, now you're getting a little bit closer, but that was only for the priest to go and only so far. So you have the outer court, then you have the holy place, which is getting inside that tabernacle or that tent. Then there's a third one. Anybody know what that one is? I guess. The holy of holies. And not every priest could get in there. Matter of fact, none of the priests could except for one. And how often could he get in there? One time a year, that's the high priest, the holy of holies, day of atonement, sin separated man from God. So you see that picture that he left with the people? As you would go to worship, you're saying, man, I wish I could go into the Holy of Holies. I'd like to see that in there, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to see the gold? But you couldn't go in there. Matter of fact, the priest couldn't go in there. So, it always taught them that God is holy. They're not. There's a separation between God and man. And every time they went to worship, and all Jews did, that was very present, wasn't it? Man has to be reminded that he is sinful and he is not God. Sorry about that. That's the way it is. So where is that? But we're getting a little bit further. But we're going we're going to now go past the illustration what the law said whenever they set up the tabernacle and the temple. Let's go into the prophets. Let's go to Isaiah fifty nine two. Isaiah, is there an Isaiah here? Is there an Isaiah? <laughs> there's not. I know there's an Isaiah in there somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> They're pointing at you, boy. Then we'll have to we'll have to get a passage about Elijah and passage about huh? Oh, Zechariah's and all of that and uh Eli's. Okay. No, here we are in what did I say? Isaiah? Okay. Isaiah chapter fifty nine, verse two. Back near the end of Isaiah. That's usually good news. But this is not so good. <laughs> but your iniquities sins have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. That's the state where all mankind is. And not just the really bad ones, as the Pope would say, but all bad ones. Bad people like me. Dennis is bad. He says, your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. So there's the sinfulness of man, a separation. So, let's go to the New Testament. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 10. I'm just going to read the first phrase here because we're going to come back around here in a moment. We're still dealing with alienation, right? For if while we were enemies, 
So, how did God look at man? Man is considered to be what? An enemy. We're not only separated from God, but we are what? We're enemies. If we back up a little bit, look at verse 6. We're helpless. And, of course, Christ died for the ungodly. And in verse 8, the very uh, God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, enemies, as Romans says there. Um, let's go to Colossians 1.21. So this is how God taught them through the Old Testament and in deep theology. <laughs> he continues to teach it. Colossians 1.21 says, and although you were formerly what? Alienated. Distance. And what else? Hostile in mind. Engaged in what? Evil deeds. These are for the really bad people. Because they are alienated, they're hostile, and they do evil deeds. Well, Who's he talking about? Every man. Roman child. Uh, Romans 8, verse 7. So those are pretty powerful words. Hostile and alienated. Evil deeds. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. That means, that means it hates God. The flesh, mankind naturally hates God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So it can't do it. It's not able. And those who are in the flesh cannot what? Please God. If you're not a Christian, you can't please God. You cannot. Uh, you're not able to do so. You cannot. It's not within your power at all to please God. So, what do we have here? I think we need an atoning work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for this position that we're in. And the atonement is a work of reconciliation. Do we need reconciliation? Yes. Better believe we do. Um, we are removed from Him, but He's going to remove that, uh, that guilt, that alienation. Peace <clears throat> is accomplished. So, we go back to Romans 5. Remember we cut off a little bit on that verse? Let's go ahead and finish it now. Romans 5, 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were what? What's the key word tonight? Reconciled. Reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Do you think Paul is trying to emphasize something to us? What has happened to us if we are Christians? We have been reconciled, brought near to have a right relationship. That's what Romans says here. So we go to 2 Corinthians 5. 18 and 19. So, 
Anybody that's in the position that Adam and Eve were, if they're not in Christ, they're outside there, aren't they? They are alienated. But 18 and 19 gives us great good news. Now, all these things are from God who what? Reconciled us to Himself through Christ. How important is Christ? He is your life. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now this is interesting. He not only reconciles us, but He gives us the ministry or the service of reconciliation. Because He goes on and says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means we can tell people who are lost, we can tell them that they can be reconciled to God because they are outside His presence. But here's the good news. You can be brought near to God. Not only are we reconciled, but we now have that message. It means to evangelize, doesn't it? To give good news. To tell them that they can be reconciled. You can have a right relationship with God. Here's what God did. Uh, wow. Ephesians 2.16 This is the enmity removed, isn't it? We saw the enmity and now we're looking at it removed. So the first part of this lesson was pretty tough stuff, wasn't it? Ephesians 2.16 And He might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. How is it that we can be brought to Him? Because the death did away with the enmity. What we celebrated Sunday, you know, the resurrection, of course, the cross, you know, that was on Friday and everything, it was through the cross that that enmity is now gone. We have that kind of access to Him. That was, in that passage there, it's reconciling Jews and Gentiles to God. Let's look at one more here. Colossians 1, 20-22. And through Him, to reconcile all things to Himself. Now what's all things? Now the Pope could read that and say, oh, that means everybody who's ever been born, except they're, if they're really bad, they will all go to heaven. Because He reconciles everybody, or all things. Do you think that? What about all the other verses that say no? Well, it can't mean that then, can it? All things. Well, first of all, you know, this weather has really been bothering me. I must admit, it really gets me depressed sometimes. Because I need sunshine. I need vitamin D. But you know what? That gives me a reality that all things aren't so good here all the time. You know, we you know we had I th I really think we had better weather in January and February. Do you remember the seventy degree days we had in January and February? And soon as March came along it turned to forty, thirty degrees, twenty degrees in the teens. Cloudy, no sunshine. But you know what? Romans eight says this, all things. We just saw that there in Colossians, but it makes me go back to Romans because a lot of people can misunderstand that. Like the Pope, for one, and many others, right? Um, 
where he says in Romans 8, verse 20, and this would be the all things. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. What was so bad about creation? Did it sin? No. Why, why did it have the curse? Because of man's sin. That's why we have all of this bad weather, right? All these days, perfect weather every day. <laughs> that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we are redeemed fully, when we get redeemed bodies one of these days, so also is creation. Everything is going to be made new and right and never to be cursed again. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We can't wait till ultimately we get heaven, right? The kingdom. Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. And what's that? The redemption of our body. When our bodies are redeemed. Are we redeemed spiritually already? Yeah. Happened at the cross. What about our bodies? Are they redeemed? No. No, not at all. So, what do we have? Colossians 1, we go back to this now, and we just said what all things are. It's dealing with His, his creation and everything that He desires to, to redeem in that sense. Um, Colossians 1. And, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross, through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven... There we go. There's, there's creation. All the things. Then we move on. And although you were formerly alienated... Did we read this a while ago? Okay. What were we? Say it together. Alienated. And then the next one? Hostile in mind. Engaged in evil deeds. We even acted it out. Yet He has now reconciled you. There's that word. Hey, what did you guys learn about on Tuesday night? Reconciliation. So, hey, when you go back to Michigan, come up to your dad and say, hey, you want to know what we learned? All you have to do, just you could just say one thing. Reconciliation, Dad. We learned about reconciliation. Hey, Dad, do you know what reconciliation is? <laughs> I know he does. But, you might put him on the spot for a little bit. Hey, Dad, what, what's your idea of reconciliation? Just a thought. That's a big word. That's a that's a huge word. You know how important that is to us. Has any has anybody ever had alienated relationships with people? You ever had it where you didn't get along with somebody for a little while? I bet everybody in there has had that, haven't they? How good it is when you can be brought back together, though, isn't it? Isn't that good? Well, here it is. He reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him to present us righteous, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's not me right now. 
well, I am holy. Be holy for I'm holy. But, boy, it falls far short. You know, we know our holes, H-O-L-E-S, and that we need to be made more holy, don't we? But one day, it'll be that way. If indeed you, okay, if you're a really Christian, what are you gonna do? you're gonna prove it. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith. If you don't continue in the faith and you backslide, and then you get to a point where you deny God, then you're gonna show you never were a Christian anyway. Continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, the good news, that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So there we go. Reconciled in Christ. And there we went right back to that His death, didn't we? Isn't that amazing what, uh, what that does? Now I want you to look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Because of this reconciliation... Here is what happens to us. Therefore, having been justified by faith, what do we have? We have enmity with God. We have war with God. Now what does it say? We have peace with God. There's not peace in the world at all. And it never will but we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction, our access into the Holy of Holies, into this grace in which we stand. Did you know what? We stand in grace. We just don't kind of walk in it and it just kind of is on the bottom of our feet. We're standing in it. I mean, it's, it's up to our knees, up to our hips. up to. We're standing in this grace. And we exult in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that what we hope for? Obtaining the very glory of God. Knowing that, you know, it's happened. The most ultimate work of Christ's cross, because it accomplishes the ground of peace with God, we enjoy through a justification. We've, we've been justified, we've been declared righteous, and we now have peace with God. Christ pays the penalty for our sin. Remember the substitute? The sacrifice, right? Then the next phrase here is it tells us why that penal substitution is. If you look in First Peter three eighteen, why? Why that penal substitution? First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just or the unjust. Now that's uh, that's theology right there, okay? Look on the other side though. So that He might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Did you see what happens? He makes us, declares us right, and then it was for the reason of what? This is the ultimate. To bring us face to face to God. That we, which we have today. We, we pray to God. We, we, you know, we talk to Him. He talks to us you know, as we read His Word and, and all this. You know, the, this is the, the very goal of our salvation is the all-satisfying, unspeakably, glorious, consummately delightful God who 
came in to rescue us, to bring us to God when we were cut off from Him. His whole goal of this glorious truth here is that we would have delight in God so that we can get to Him, so that we have access to the Father, Ephesians 2. You know what Psalm 16.11 says? Anybody know that? In whose presence is the fullness of joy and in whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what we want. We want the pleasures of God and they'll be for eternity. We have access to Him. His presence is fullness of joy. We want His presence always, don't we? That's really what we desire. Forevermore. Do we we just want our sins simply forgiven? What if that was it? I'm forgiven. That's all I need. Well, that would be okay. But what kind of access would you have with God? But you would never really be for sure because there would be no relationship. Well, that's true. So the good news is not just that you'll be forgiven. How about, well, it'll get me out of hell. It's a get out of hell ticket. Right? Salvation is. So that's the reason I, I want to go to heaven as a, because I won't go to hell. Is that the reason why? Some people call it fire insurance. Right. How about, okay, well, I won't feel guilty anymore. More than that, isn't it? Uh, well, it means that I'll, I'll get to see my family and friends in heaven. Well, that's true. But that's not the ultimate. It's that we'll see our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll get to see all of His saved people and all the family of God. No doubt. I mean, we, we, we can't wait for that. But it's really that we have the very relationship with God that is unadulterated in any way. It's perfect. This is good news. Because we've been reconciled to God. Do you, do you call this a magnificent treasure? We are winners. And this is a treasure that will last forevermore. All His delightful pleasures are waiting for us. Did you know the cross of Christ accomplishes this alienation? It overcomes it. It accomplishes overcoming that. And it accomplishes... What's our word for the day? Reconciliation. Let's all say it. Reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, thank You for reconciling us, coming from the condition and the position that we were in, and bringing us to God. Thank You for the death on the cross which accomplished much. It has been done. And we wait for the completion in our own lives as as our body will uh, uh, get that accomplished in in the... uh, glorification. But at the same time, Lord, it is a treasure to know You now and to know You're working in us and You're accomplishing a great work until You come back. So thank You, Lord, that we've been reconciled. We have peace with You in a time that is not peace at all. Mankind is warring against You, but we are at peace with You. And thank you for knowing that and having that comfort. In Jesus' name, amen.